We're going to pray some prayers of intercession. And it's all with this theme tonight of God's justice and mercy and how they go together. So let's pray. Father God, we know you're a God of justice. And yet every t- everywhere we turn, wickedness seems to prosper. Your beautiful plan for this earth and for our lives has been turned into something ugly. Human life is treated casually, whether it's in the womb, whether it's in the lives of millions of children cruelly affected by hunger, slavery, or exploitation, or in the lives of adults who have so often exchanged your good intentions for how to live for a lie, a lie that puts us on the throne makes us little gods and ultimately leads to a lost eternity without you. Help us, Lord. Help us not to despair. Help us not to fear. But help us, Lord, to go further, to work harder for justice, to love more, and to seek to be a light in this dark world. We pray for all of those who have been affected by acts of terror recently in London and in Stockholm. May they be comforted. Lord, help our political leaders to deal with this huge and difficult problem of Islamic terrorism. And Lord, act quickly to help your people living in parts of the world where there is a constant threat of imprisonment torture or even death just for following you bring justice lord bring justice across this land and across this world we pray in jesus name amen okay and tonight's uh, scripture reading is uh, malachi chapter 2 uh, verse 17 to chapter 3 and verse 5, and it's on uh, page 961 in the Pew Bible. And if you would forgive me, I'm going to have to remove my glasses. I think it's a sign of getting old, uh, that I can't actually see the words. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Good evening and welcome to our evening service tonight. Can I just say it's lovely to see um, some of our families out tonight. I know it's Easter time and uh, no school tomorrow, which is great, but it's lovely to see 
some of our young families and our teens and even our regulars out tonight. It's lovely to see you. If you'd like to turn with me to Malachi chapter uh, 2, you'll find it on page 961. If you could have that open in front of you, it would be very helpful. Also, uh, today we've been um, encouraged to give to the moderator's appeal for uh, East Africa. And so, if you have a few bob and you want to get rid of it tonight, uh, there are plates at the back uh, of the church. You can gift aid as well. And uh, that goes to East Africa, to certain groups that are helping with the drought um, in East Africa and other causes as well. And it's called the Moderator's Appeal from uh, Presbyterian Church in Ireland. So can I encourage you uh, to give towards that if you've come uh, tonight for that, prepared for that. But as we come to Malachi chapter 2 tonight, let me pray for us as we open God's word and hear from him uh, tonight. Father God, we thank you tonight for being with us. We thank you, Lord, for your word to us. And we pray tonight as we open it again in this book of Malachi that you have given us. Father, our heart's desire is that your word would search us. But Lord, we're conscious as well as it searches us, that it may unveil certain blind spots, certain sin patterns, certain heart attitudes, certain incorrect thinking about yourself and about our world and even about ourselves. And Father, we pray tonight, be gracious to us. Help us by your spirit to understand what is written here and help us to respond to it in obedience and faith and help us to glory in who Jesus is, we ask. For we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. So please have that passage open in front of you tonight. Um, on the 26th of June, 1996, her red Opel Calibra stopped at the red traffic lights at Newlands Cross in Dublin. She'd been traveling on the Nace dual carriageway. The story is she was in Nace Court that day, having expired all her driving points. She was in court to answer for them. And she nearly lost her license, but the judge let her off. Typical Republic of Ireland, maybe. But on the way back in, she's traveling in the Nace Jewel carriageway. She stops at a red traffic light, and two boys pull up on a motorcycle, and they shout out six sh shots from a gun. She died instantly, leaving behind her husband and her son. She was killed because she was an investigative journalist who had been looking into the life of this man, John Gilligan, and his criminal gang. Gilligan had built up a criminal empire of vast amounts of money, and estates through drug dealing and smuggling. In the months and years after the killing and shooting of Veronica Guerin, John Gilligan was tried and acquitted of Guerin's murder, but later he was convicted because the state wanted to under his drugs trafficking offences. He served 28 years in prison, reduced to 20 on appeal, and within two years recently, John Gilligan, having served his prison sentence, has been released. Where is the God of justice? Does he approve of such evil? Is he pleased with it? Or what about this? In May 2010, a group of 23 Christians were discovered with Bibles and other Christian literature by police. Three were publicly executed, and others disappeared within the infamous camp called Yodok. 
The vast labor camp in the mountains makes escape almost impossible. In places where a prisoner might have a chance of escaping, tall fences with barbed wire have been erected. Some sections are electrified. Besides this, there are miserable minefields everywhere and deadly snares. And every two kilometers, there is seven-meter-tall watchtowers. Anyone trying to escape is shot. And it is estimated that between 50,000 and 70,000 Christians suffer in prison camps in North Korea. One former prisoner describes the camp and its conditions like this. He says the prisoners are treated worse than cattle. I saw people dying of hunger and sickness. I saw executions. Those who look alive are like the walking ghosts. They're stripped of their identity. The whole system made me desperate. Where is God, the God of justice? Does he approve of such evil? Is he pleased with this? These are the types of questions that your neighbors and your friends, your work colleagues often ask when they see things happening where suffering, evil, unrestrained devastation on lives. Where is God? Where is the God of justice? Does he allow for this happening? Does he approve of it? Is he pleased with it? Perhaps you yourself have asked those questions at times. Why doesn't God act in this situation against that person? Why does God allow for evil, bad things to occur and evildoers to prosper and get away with it? And folks, tonight, as we come to Malachi 2, sometimes it's all right to ask those questions. But what we find in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, is a slightly different, it's a notched up ask of God. And do you see it in front of you? Here are the covenant people of God, and they are wearying God with their words by saying to him in chapter 2, verse 17, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. Where is the God of justice? Here were the covenant people looking at their community around them, seeing the priests, the leaders, and the people not acting according to God's word, seeing his laws broken. They saw wrongdoers prosper and prevail. They saw no advantage in being followers of the Lord Jesus, in walking with him. And they say among themselves, God is pleased with evildoers and evil. He, he thinks they're good. Where is the God of justice? And folks, tonight as we come to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 particularly, there is something deeply and profoundly disturbing when God's people are saying things like this, when they're thinking it, when they're believing these words. And just to be clear for a moment, these are not the words of Sam language. In Psalm language, what the, what the psalmist does is he appeals to the promises of God. God, you said you would do this. In the Psalm language, what God does is they appeal to the character of God. God, you're like this. Please act like this. They appeal also to the past. Lord, you saved us when you took us through Exodus. Please do the same again. That is very different to what you find in Malachi 2, verse 17. There is a disturbing denial of the character of God here. It is a twisting of God's ways and nature. And that is why the Lord again in Malachi is saying to the people, you've wearied me with your words. And yet, they seem so unconscious of it. 
They seem so unconscious of their attitude and their words when they say this, when they turn to God and they say to him, those who do evil in your sight are good. You think they're good. You're pleased with them. Where are you, O God? It is a serious thing that the people of God say these things about the character of God because the scriptures remind us again and again that God is good, that he is holy, he doesn't tolerate evil, he is not pleased with it, and he is the God of justice. But what we have here is the covenant people of God so ingrained in their sinful patterns of thought and behavior that it has actually clouded their thinking. It has blinded them, it has ensnared them, it has trapped them in a certain way, in a certain mindset and emotion. And that is why we are never the best assessors of where we stand before God. But thank God that he uses his words to search, to motivate, and to change us. You think God doesn't act? You believe God approves of evil and is pleased? But then look at what God says to them how he responds to their complaint in his, in his graciousness, despite, them being, despite him being wearied by their words. And the Lord firstly responds in chapter 1, in chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, the, me- the Lord's messenger is coming. See, behold, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The picture here is a bit like a couple of years ago, isn't it? Uh, some of you will be into cycling, but the Giro d'Italia, do you remember when it came to Northern Ireland and there were three stages? The top 200 cyclists in the world came and, and the event attracted thousands of people, particularly into Belfast and even Northern Ireland. But before those cyclists came, a committee of delegates were already sent beforehand to Northern Ireland to get the event ready, to prepare for it. And so they inspected roads, potholes, manholes, cat's eyes. Do you know? Yeah, cat's eyes are common, yeah. Some of the manholes had to be taken out and covered because cyclists would fall on them or the bikes with the tin tires would come on it. But they came to prepare the way for these cyclists. They had briefings with the road authority and the police. Why? Because they were preparing the way for the main event. And in ancient times, that's what happened. Before the king or queen came, a big entourage would come before them and prepare the way. And it's the same idea here. God responds to their charge, their complaint, by saying the Lord's messenger is coming. The Lord is going to come after this messenger. He's a forerunner. And what are we told about this messenger? Flick over to chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 for a moment, because these chapters are heavily linked In chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. God's messenger is Elijah, the prophet, and he will come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. But you know, don't you? Elijah's already come. He came well before Malachi's day. And so this promise that God will send Elijah again before the day of the Lord was to be understood in Jesus' day very differently. Do you remember Mark's gospel when Jesus said to the disciples, who do the people say I am? What did some say? Some think he's Elijah. Others think he's a prophet. 
And again, when Jesus is dying on the cross, the crowd heard Jesus cry out, and they responded by saying, behold, he's calling Elijah. You see, the prophets like Isaiah and Malachi spoke about a day when there would be a messenger sent ahead of the Lord, coming to prepare the way. And many believed in Jesus' day that Elijah was the person that was going to come. But it wasn't Elijah in person that was to come. It was Elijah-type ministry that was to come. And the Bible makes clear, doesn't it, that John the Baptist was the promised forerunner to the Lord. And before John was ever born, his mom, were told, his mom and dad were told this, he will go before Jesus in the spirit and power of who? Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people for the Lord. John would have the spirit and ministry of Elijah to call people to repentance, to get them ready for the coming of the Lord. And when Jesus Christ did come, he spoke about John the Baptist in the following way. He said this, but I tell you that John, Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. You see, Malachi's words here in chapter 3, verse 1, are fulfilled in the person and life and ministry of John the Baptist as the forerunner to when the Lord was going to come, to prepare the way for him. And this takes us to our second point, that when the Lord comes in chapter 3, verse 1, he will come. And notice two things about the coming of the Lord. Notice the people's attitude to it. They were seeking it. They were saying to themselves, Lord, come. We're looking forward to this. They were desiring it. Do you see it in chapter 3, verse 1? You see, the people were looking forward to this day when the Lord would come. They saw it as a day when everything would be put to right. When the Lord would prosper his people, remove the tyranny of oppression, hurled in all the promises of the covenant. They were eager for it. But look how the Lord will come. Verse 2. The Lord will come suddenly. After years of waiting for the Lord to come, he comes suddenly. 400 years pass between Malachi and when the Lord comes. And he comes suddenly, unexpectedly, born to a teenage girl from a backwater in Galilee called Nazareth, into a family that were not well off. The Lord came. And see what he does? He comes to his temple in verse 2. When Jesus is a baby, he's brought to the temple, isn't he? Do you remember Simeon's words? He took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the disciples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. The Lord comes to his temple as a baby. As a boy, he's lost in the temple, isn't he? As he's hearing from the scribes teaching about his father, And then he goes to the temple just before his death. He overturns the tables and he says to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. The Lord is coming to his temple. These words of Malachi are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus as he comes. But the Lord is also the messenger of the covenant. 
And that is so evident when you come to the life of Jesus, those famous words at the Last Supper, in the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his bread, it is a new covenant in his blood. So Malachi spoke of the day when the Lord will come. It will be unexpected, sudden. He will come to his temple. He is the messenger of the covenant. And the people were saying, bring it on. Bring it on. He's coming. We desire this. It will be great. But the people seem unaware that when the Lord comes, in verse 2, he comes with a health warning. See what it says? And, And Adam brought this out. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Why the health warning here? Why is there a warning that the Lord is coming? When people so desire it, Why is there a health warning? There are three things that bring this health warning to the front. And tonight I just want to focus on those. And there are three lovely pictures because they're they're visuals for us. And the first one is this. The health warning. The Lord is coming to refine, to purge, to purify his own people. Verses 2 to 4. The people who long for the day of his coming. It says in verse 2, he will be a refiner's fire. Malachi here is prophesying about the first coming of Jesus, how Jesus will be a refiner's fire. When I got married, it was the first time I ever bought a bit of jewelry, right? And I went in and I bought this. I I hated the gold pieces, right? So I thought I'd be trendy and get a a white gold, right? 800 euros this cost me, believe it or not. (laughs) I'm still paying it off, probably. Um, But in order to get the precious ring that you have or the jewelry around your neck, there has to be a refining process. And Jesus here is speaking about the refiner's fire. It's the idea of a precious metal. And in order to get a precious metal of a ring or or, or some sort of jewelry, it needs to be exposed, doesn't it, to high temperatures in a kiln or fire, red hot. And the reason is why. Why does that happen? So as to draw out the impurities the dross, they're burnt off at those high temperatures and then you're left with a precious and valuable metal. And Jesus coming here, according to Malachi, he will be like a refiner's fire. Now ask the question, is that pleasant? Is the refiner's fire pleasant in the process? No, it's not. It will be unpleasant. It will be uncomfortable as Jesus exposed the impurities and the sinfulness of actions and thoughts and heart attitude within his own people. And that is exactly what the process is involved here, of cleansing, of, of working this out in the people of God. And when Jesus comes the first time, the people of Israel found Jesus' teaching, even his presence, uncomfortable. They found it searching, piercing to the very heart and life of their ways, to such a degree that they go, who do you think you are? Who gave you this authority? What was their reaction? It was to hate. It was to reject. It was to abuse. So we go from one people who are longing for the day of the Lord to come. Bring it on. And then when he comes as the refiner's fire in the first coming, we find that he is hated, rejected. His authority is not granted. And the question is, why does Jesus refine his people, his covenant people, 
so that they will walk in his ways, so that they will be the people that he has called them to, refining them so that they'll be God's treasured possession, reflecting his way and character to the nations and to themselves around them. And at this moment in time, if you look at chapter 2, verse 17, is that a reflection of God's precious treasured possession? No, it's not. And so Malachi says to them, don't long for the day of the Lord because it will be like a refiner's fire. The second picture connected with Jesus' coming is that of cleansing, for he will be a launderer's soap or a fuller's soap, whatever your, your, your um, translation says. Do you remember a couple of years ago with the Daz ads? Remember, it was whiter than white. And I'm not sure if Daz is still on the market, but that was the idea, wasn't it? You wash your shirt, you wash a stain out, and it became whiter than white. And that's the idea here in Malachi, that we have a second picture of Jesus, firstly as a refiner's fire, refining the impurity, the dross. But also we have a cleansing process going on with the launderer's soap. This was made from plant ashes, and it was used to clean and make full new cloths. A launderer was someone who cleansed and thickened kind of freshly woven cloth. And this work was done mainly through beating it, bleaching it, and making sure that the fibers were consistent and desirable in a desirable condition. And Malachi is saying to us here that Jesus will come to cleanse his people. Again, it's not a pleasant process. And ultimately, Jesus does this cleansing through his death and resurrection. But for Malachi's people in his day, this must have hit home very hard because they longed for the day of the Lord. Yet it will be a day of refining and cleansing, unpleasant, uncomfortable when it occurs, but done by the Lord to make his people his own treasured possession. There's a principle here for us today too to grapple with. We're looking at salvation history after Jesus' first coming. But the great thing about the work of Jesus and the Lord amongst his people today is that he continues to do his refining and cleansing work through his spirit and the word. And over the last number of weeks in Malachi, we've been hearing God's word speak to us about election. We've been speaking about covenant love about worship, about leadership, about marriage last week, about relationships and hypocrisy. And God's word has been refining and cleansing. God has been speaking to us. Has it been unpleasant? Is God speaking to us in order to refine us and to cleanse us? For some of us here, that may be true. Because last week or two weeks ago, we spoke about leadership how leaders were to speak truth, and instead they were driving people away. Elders, if you are here tonight, we need to take this on board. That if we are not teaching truth and instructing the people that God has put under your care, there needs to be a refining. There needs to be a cleansing. We spoke about marriage, young folk. In chapters 3 of Malachi, it says, do not get married to unbelievers. There is a refining, a cleansing if the Lord is teaching us the way to go. Marriages. How many of us are struggling in our marriages? And yet he encourages us here. He hates divorce because the covenant is broken. We need to work and invest in our marriages. Is it unpleasant? Yes, it is. 
but it's a refining and cleansing work that God's word does amongst us in order to make us his people so that we will reflect his ways and purposes. This refining and purpose is done for a reason. Do you see it in verses 3 and 4? So that just like the people and the priests of Malachi's day, that we would worship and walk in righteousness before the Lord and live lives that would please him. Folks, God refines. He purifies. He makes it uncomfortable at times, not out of some sick ego that he has, but rather for our good, so that what is right and good and praiseworthy is pleasing to the Lord so that we would be his people. Folks, this passage in Malachi and these last some have been hard to preach from because he's refining us. He's cleansing us. And we need to take on board what that means for him here. Thirdly and lastly, we see that in verse 5, that the Lord will come for judgment. And it's important to grasp here that Malachi differentiates between the purification that we have seen in verses 2 and 4 and the final judgment of verse 5. Please help me try and come back to me if you don't understand this, but let me try and explain this. When dealing with prophecy, which we have here with Malachi, often what happens is you'll get it as one picture. So he says that the Lord will come to refine and to cleanse, but he'll also come to judge. And you think, that's one picture. But in fact, what's happening here is the Lord has come already to refine and to cleanse the Lord Jesus, but the final judgment is yet to come. And so we have a two-stage prophecy here. And that's the way to look at this. And we saw that the Lord's first coming is to purify. The second coming will be the moved final judgment. And when the scriptures speak of final judgment, it always speaks in terms of the Father giving the Son the right to judge. So listen to these verses from John particularly. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And then in Acts, as they're explaining it, it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is given the authority and position to judge. And for the people of Malachi's day, they were asking, Where is the God of justice? And we only have to look at our world and the news around us to see that it's very easy to ask that same question. Where is God? When will he show his justice? And folks, even this week, as, as, as you see young children frothing at the mouth on chemical attacks, as you see a Canadian pastor confess to boys being abused in the past, you go, where is the God of justice? When is God going to deal with these things? Or if you take the troubles, even in Northern Ireland, when will he deal with both sides? When will he bring his justice? Victims are waiting, while perpetrators seem to prosper and enjoy freedom. And you know what the Lord says in response to Malachi's people as he says, where is your justice, O God? He says to them in chapter 3, verse 5, so I will come near to you for judgment. Have you ever thought about that? That God is going to come, the Lord, to judge, to exercise his judgment. Jesus will come as the son of man who judges the world and his people. 
Have you ever thought about that? Because at this moment in time in, in probably Christendom, we love love and grace. And they are so wonderful. And as we come to the resurrection and the death of Jesus, we will see that he has given himself to save us and to rescue us. But folks, we forget that we will stand before him, that we will be answerable for what we do and how we have behaved. And that's why God reminds us through Malachi here, the people are saying, God approves of evil. That is, justice will never be seen. And God reminds his people, I'm coming to judge, not just this world, but my people. And he mentions specifics here. He says a whole host of sinners, those who exploit others, those who oppress the weak and the vulnerable, those who commit adultery, those who swear falsely and are involved in the worship of other things. That could be us. It could be you and me here tonight, not just those outside. And what it says is Jesus will come to testify against them. Why will this happen? Why will he bring his judgment? Well, it's because of what it says in chapter 3, verse 5. It says they do not fear the Lord. I grew up in a housing estate in Kilkenny, and I don't know if you know what a Toyota Twin Cam is. Anyone understand what a Toyota Twin Cam is, right? It's one of these cars that's very low to the ground. Toyota build them well, but it was a Twin Cam, and normally if you could cut off the exhaust off it, it would make a lovely purring noise as it went up the estate. But the best thing to have on a Toyota Twin Cam was this, no fear, as you tore around the estate. I didn't have one myself, but a few of my buddies had one. And this is it. And that's the idea here. These boys tore around the estate. No fear, no fear of the law, no fear of regulations. And yet Jesus, God reminds us here in Malachi 2, what is, under, what is the underlying issue for God's people here is that they have no fear of him, no reverence for him. They think maybe it's all love and joy. I'm in the covenant. But their relationship with the Lord has become mechanical. We bring our offerings, but there's no heart in it. And so he says, you do not fear me, and I will come to judge. And that judgment will come because God will deal. He says here, I will deal quickly to testify with regard to how people have lived and how they have responded to him. It's very sobering when you think of that, isn't it? Because most of us think that once I've prayed a prayer, I'm in heaven, I'm on the bus. But most of us think once I'm saved, I'm saved and I don't have to keep on living for the Lord and his ways and his purposes. And this is a reminder to us to keep pressing on. Not legalism, but rather to remind us to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in the ways of the Lord. Because here we're a people who weren't and God reminds them that I'm coming to judge and it'll be a swift one. But it is to motivate them to change their ways. What difference should this make? What difference should this coming of Jesus' judgment make? It should make us hold on to the truth that God is not a God who is going to be absent. He is a God of justice, and he will one day put all wrongs to right. Injustices will be exposed. All that was hidden and dark and evil, he will judge. We should long for this day. It should comfort us that one day, all the wrongs will be put right. The abused, the oppressed, the lied to, the cheated, the not loved will face God's judgment. But these truths of, of, of God coming should also, in the words of Ephesians 5, remind us, look carefully then how you walk, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Make the most of this time. Walk with him in righteousness and goodness before him because the Lord is saying, fear me. Let me close in prayer. Father God, as we look at these covenant people of yours in Malachi's day, there's something within us, Lord, that will say "Ah, they're different. They're bad ones. And yet, Lord, your word searches us and it tells us, Lord, that we can just be like these folk too. And Father, today, help us not to be blinded by our sin, by our attitude of heart. But Lord, we pray that you will, through your word, search our hearts and our lives. Lord, we thank you that you are a refiner's fire, that you will not leave your people as they are, but, Lord, that you'll continue by the work of your Holy Spirit and your word to purify us in heart attitude, in mindset, and in our lives to be more like your Son. Thank you that you do a continual cleansing process with your people. And, Lord, even though we resist that, even though we don't like the unpleasantness of it, we pray in your gracious, Lord, continue to refine us, continue to cleanse us, And Lord, where we need that reminder that you are coming to judge, would it motivate us to live for you? Would it help us to cling to Jesus and his words and help us to follow you with all that we have? Father, we thank you that one day your son will judge, that he will put the wrongs to right, that he will expose the darkness and evil thoughts and hidden hidden parts of all this earth and these people. And we thank you that he will bring much glory to the Father by his judgment. Father, we look forward to that day, but we're also conscious, Lord, that that will be a day when we will be judged. Lord, help us to walk in your ways, and we confess our sin. We confess the things that we are doing wrong, and we know it is, and we bring it before you tonight. Lord, deal with us graciously, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.